DW, World in Progress. With Sarah Stephan. This week we'll hear about health risks that aren't nearly talked enough about, such as how our overuse of antibiotics puts us all at risk of superbugs that are immune to the drugs we currently have. You go through the last line of antibiotics and it doesn't work, and so what do you do next? You're sort of at the mercy of the bacteria, let's say, you know, or, or praying that your immune system works. The stronger the antibiotics, the second or third line of antibiotics, it comes with bigger side effects. Are you aware of the dangers of sugar? A region in Mexico holds the world record of soft drinks consumed per person per day. We know from studies that these products made up almost a third of the total calories consumed by children. Coca-Cola is the most widely available soft drink. Coca-Cola is la más, más, más presente. All that and more coming up now. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Sarah Steffen. Superbugs, the strains of bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics, are estimated to kill over 1 million people per year. The World Health Organization calls antimicrobial resistance one of the top global health threats that doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. By 2050, we could be looking at 10 million deaths annually, says the UN. And we keep making it worse by using antibiotics for the wrong kind of diseases. They only work on bacterial infections and not on viral ones. By not finishing the antibiotic treatment and thereby allowing the remaining bacteria to develop resistance to the drug. By feeding livestock with it. By not filtering wastewater before it flows back into our rivers. One of the countries where antibiotics are given out like candy is the small South Asian country of Nepal. With its big neighbor, India, Nepal lies in one of the most heavily implicated regions of the world. Laura Salm-Reiferscheid went to talk to health experts in Nepal to find out how to stop this silent pandemic that is not as visible as other problems such as HIV-AIDS or malaria. This report was funded by the European Journalism Center through the Global Health Security Call, a program supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Proudly five-year-old Adi recites the alphabet and then goes on to make a karate move, ending up in the splits on the floor as his older brother Arus cautions him not to hurt himself. His father Arjun Pudel looks on smiling. It is a holiday. The whole family is at home in their apartment on the outskirts of Nepal's capital Kathmandu. Pudel is relieved to see Adi so full of life again despite him still being a bit thin and short for his age. At the end of 2021, the boy had been bitten by a dog. It was just a small scratch, but as a precaution, Adi received four shots of rabies vaccine. It took around one month, then he continued the school. Uh, after uh, two weeks, he started complaining of pain in the arm. We thought that he might have scared of the immunization or the pain. He got at the time. But the pain got worse. The arms started swelling, turned an angry red, and after a while, Adi stopped moving it altogether. Over the span of weeks, doctors prescribed everything from ice packs to various antibiotics to cutting open the swelling and draining the pus. 
samples of which were sent to a lab. When the report finally came back, it said Adi had a bacterial infection that was resistant to 12 out of 13 major antibiotics. So all hope rested on one drug to fight the germs. Pudel, who writes for a national newspaper, recalls how he felt during that time. When the report came, it showed that he got antibiotic resistance. I got really scared. And I also talked to my editor. He allowed me to work from home for a few weeks. He was so weak at the time, the boy was. Both parents stayed home to look after Adi. His mother lost her job after taking too much time off work. The family spent around 30,000 Nepalese rupees, that is twice the national monthly minimum wage, before the boy got better. Antimicrobial resistance, short AMR, is the evolving ability of microbes such as bacteria, viruses and fungi to withstand drugs intended to kill them. Nepal is just one of many countries around the world that is struggling with the slow-moving pandemic, as AMR is often referred to. While surveillance data quantifying the burden of AMR for the country is still patchy, speaking to scientists and health professionals shows the gravity of the situation. One of them is Modern Kumar Upadai, who's heading the national focal point for AMR at the Ministry of Health and Population. Personally, I have very bitter experiences regarding uh, AMR. As a prescriber, as a clinician, when I, I used to treat my patient with the same molecule for a short, certain period of time, now those molecules uh, alone are not working for the same sort of symptoms or some sort of disease. So the hospital stay, the financial burden are being increased. Uh, the simple pneumonia uh, is not being treated uh, orally now injectables and the patient in intensive care unit is needed for now. It is in large part the overuse and misuse of antibiotics that leads to bacteria increasingly developing resistance against the drugs. In a country with only one doctor per roughly 1,700 inhabitants, Patients tend to go to medical shops and pharmacies for advice and diagnosis. Antibiotics are sold over the counter without prescriptions, even though it's illegal. With a fast-growing population, the number of pharmacies has increased rapidly and regulators are having trouble catching up, explains Bernard Trapp. She's country director of the USAID-funded Medicines, Technologies and Pharmaceutical Services Program that supports the government in addressing the AMR problem. The number of pharmacies, the number of wholesalers and even manufacturers has increased about plus minus a few thousand, but 8,000 percent. Okay, they need to be controlled, they need to be registered, managed and so on. They also need to have pharmacists to, to manage the pharmacies, but there's not enough. There was too few, there still is too few, so what do you do? The workload for the regulatory authorities is increased so much. They started in when they were established 20 years ago with about 45 people. They are still that amount. They have not 
expanded in any way. Most people take the medication without determining whether it is a bacterial or a viral infection. In the latter case, antibiotics are useless. One owner of a pharmacy says customers want to be healed quickly and don't have the money to spend on expensive medication. So they don't buy the whole course of the antibiotics, but just get enough pills for two or three days. This way, not all the bugs are killed off and the surviving ones can develop resistance. Over time, first-choice antibiotics become less and less effective, making infections harder to treat. Eventually, stronger drugs with more side effects are needed. Ajit Pudel, senior public health officer at the non-governmental organization Center for Molecular Dynamics Nepal, short CMDN, explains what that means. You go through the last line of antibiotics and it doesn't work, and so what do you do next? You're sort of at the mercy of the bacteria, let's say, you know, or, or praying that your immune system works, different kind of combination of antibiotics work. And uh, because the stronger the antibiotics, the second or third line of antibiotics, it comes with bigger side effects. So you might be able to treat the bacteria, but you end up with more side effects and it has a bigger um, dent in your liver and kidneys and in the organs that actually metabolize the, the medicines. It is a big problem and we seriously need to look into controlling and looking for alternative methods. And it, it needs to happen now. While as of yet there is a clear lack of law enforcement in controlling the rampant use of antibiotics, some hospitals have taken it upon themselves to get to grips with the situation, despite often limited resources. Raj Swester, molecular biologist and research officer at Sidi Memorial Hospital for Women and Children in Bhaktapur, says they have developed procedures for the responsible use of antibiotics. They're also doing small studies within the hospital to see how bad the problem really is. And they're routinely taking swabs from newborns to test for hospital-acquired multidrug-resistant organisms. The idea is to, like, to identify the drug-resistant bugs in time so that you know, we could take extra precautions to handle those uh, children. Because you know, these drug-resistant bugs are quite sneaky, it's, it spreads quite rapidly, you know? so, so we try to take precautions uh, in that regard. So we also periodically take uh, swaps from the environmental uh, uh, areas like basins, different eye-touch surfaces like door handles and different medical devices. And we also try to check if there's any multi-drug resistant organism there or not. And um, we also do uh, routine fumigations. And we also follow up uh, the environmental surveillance even after the fumigations to see if the fumigation has get rid of those uh, antibiotic resistance uh, bugs. However, to fully tackle the AMR problem, the animal sector has to be taken into account as well. The poultry sector in Nepal makes up around 4% of GDP. At any given time, there are more than 75 million chickens held on farms around the country, not just in rural areas, but also in urban areas in the Kathmandu Valley. Poultry is a livelihood for many here, and the meat and eggs are important food sources. Farmers not only administer antibiotics to treat diseases, 
usually without a proper diagnosis, but also give the drugs to chickens as growth promoters or misguidedly as prophylaxis against disease. Bacteria such as E. coli have developed resistance to most common antibiotics and pose a major problem to farmers, sometimes killing off whole flocks of chickens. Adding to this, the animals are often given the drugs until they are sold off, without observing a withdrawal period. So birds and eggs arrive in the market full of antibiotics. These are then consumed by humans, explains Dibesh Kamacharya, executive director of CMDN. Money would be better invested in preventing diseases entering the farms in the first place. Then fewer antibiotics would need to be used. His company runs a pilot farm where multiple approaches are being tested. In prevention, it's biosecurity, because the infections or contaminations happen in four different ways, air, feed, water, and humans. So if you can control those, more than likely you'll have a very clean farm. That's one part of it. Second part is animal welfare. Make sure those animals are happy so that they give happy eggs is, is important. Third uh, is in the process, whole process, there needs to be a really good monitoring evaluation. Starting from the quality of the feed that you bring in, the quality of water that you uh, feed to the, 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 the animals, um, all the way through the whole process of handling the animals as well. So those are all, those needs to be in place. And how do you know you're successful on your approaches? Is by regular testing. And that's why the diagnostic part plays an important role, the screening part plays an important role. Another way that resistance develops is that genes responsible for resistance can be transferred between bacteria. This can happen within the body and also becomes a problem if such genes enter the environment and transfers happen there. To find out what kind of AMR genes are present in the environment in the Kathmandu area, PhD students Santos Kanal and Sudeep KC from Tribhuvan University are analyzing samples of river water and wastewater from the community, pharmaceutical companies and hospitals. While the two are standing on a small bridge crossing a tributary of the Bagmati River to collect the water sample, KC explains that Kathmandu's main river is more or less dead due to human pollution and all the waste dumped into it. Currently, KC says, Kathmandu only has one functional treatment plant. To protect the river system, more plants are needed at different sites. Although there are regulations governing medical waste, compliance is very poor and the majority of hospitals in the city do not treat their wastewater. So besides resistant bacteria and AMR genes, actual residues of antibiotics reach the rivers too. The government should compulsory say that uh, they should implement the treatment plan so that the rivers can be protected. A CMDN study analyzing hospital wastewater also found an abundance of AMR genes in their samples, explains Ajit Pudel. The scary thing is that thing uh, mixes directly into the municipal line, which gets dumped into the Bagmati River, which goes in through entire entire valley, and then the 
from the water, it percolates through the soil, and you grow stuff in the soil. All the antibiotics and its contents and the metabolites gets absorbed through the plants, and when we eat it, and it goes through our system. So it's not just being in a hospital, you might be directly impacted in, on a small scale, but the entire population is impacted what, uh, on based on what the hospital does. At the moment, hospitals and researchers are largely working on AMR in isolation. Law enforcement to regulate the use of antibiotics is lacking, and a national plan to coordinate all AMR activities is needed. This has actually now been developed, but is waiting to be endorsed by the government, which will hopefully happen before summer. Nepal is late to the game. Neighboring India and Bangladesh have already implemented their first five-year plans. Nepal's plan will also take a holistic One Health approach, encompassing human, animal and food health, as well as the environment. It will focus on educating people about the dangers of AMR and how to reduce it by, for example, finishing the full course of antibiotics they've been prescribed, improving practices for the use of antibiotics in hospitals and the veterinary sector, expanding AMR surveillance, preventing and controlling infections, and promoting investment in research and innovation. In the meantime, Adi's father, Ajun Pudel, has learned from the experience with his son. He's now very cautious about using drugs, especially when it comes to his two boys. Earlier I used to run to the pharmacy and buy the medicines. Now I stopped, completely stopped doing that. When the children started coughing, I used to run the hospital. And now I don't do that, that thing. If the doctor recommends and the problem didn't get, don't get cured for three, four days, five days, we have to take antibiotics. I know that we should not take antibiotics immediately after getting sick or problem. That's the lesson I learned. For DW, this is Laura Salm Reiferscheid in Kathmandu, Nepal. <laughs> Another kind of dangerous health risk that's looming on the horizon is diabetes. In the Mexican state of Chiapas, diabetes is the second leading cause of death. Here, clean water is often hard to come by. However, access to soft drinks like Coca-Cola is easy. On average, two liters of the soft drink are drunk per person per day. That's a world record. The number of deaths caused by diabetes have reportedly doubled in the past decade. Evelyn McLafferty has this report by Marie-Christine Böse. Dressed in their grey uniforms lined in gold and sweating under the hot sun, this mariachi band performs looking down onto a grave. A serenade in honour of their friend who died much too young from diabetes. Musician Fermin Jimenez Estrada says they play at the funerals of diabetics all too often. There are so very many, especially during COVID-19. A lot of people with diabetes died. Diabetes is the second leading cause of death in Chiapas. The state is known for its rolling hills, quaint villages, indigenous culture and its Coca-Cola consumption. 
Not everyone has electricity. The tap water is often undrinkable. Coca-Cola, however, is available everywhere. Two litres of the soft drink are drunk per person every day here. A world record. The number of deaths caused by diabetes doubled between 2011 and 2021. Dr Marco Arana checks what's on offer at a local school kiosk and finds only junk food. He says the companies target children. We know from studies that these products made up almost a third of the total calories consumed by children. Coca-Cola is the most widely available soft drink. Coca-Cola is la más, más, más presente. Arana speaks of Coca-Cola colonization. Through aggressive marketing, the fizzy drink has even hijacked Mayan ceremonies. Shaman Pascuala Diaz is getting ready to perform a ceremony. The candles and flower petals all seem pretty standard. But she's also laid out bottles of soft drinks. She says that it appeases the gods. Her patient also suffers from diabetes. Many healers replaced alcohol with soft drinks because they seem to be the lesser evil. Coca-Cola now accompanies the prayers of bygone generations. But Pascuela Diaz believes sugar is not the cause of her patient's diabetes. This woman has anxiety and dreams a lot. It's made her sick. That's why I do this cleansing. On the bustling streets of the city, junk food is now ubiquitous. It's even come to replace the traditional diet of maize, beans and chilli. And then there's the water problem. Coca-Cola is permitted to tap more than a million litres of water every day. All approved by the state, says Marco Arana. A fizzy drink is often easier to get than clean drinking water. Nobody is monitoring how much water is actually being taken. There's no oversight. The growing scale of production at this plant puts the supply for the rest of the population at risk. The company refutes this, saying it is not taking water from anyone. Instead, it donates water tanks and recycling containers and has reduced the amount of sugar in many of its products. But the neighbouring state of Oaxaca is not relying on that. Primary school teacher Diana Lopez has declared war on soft drinks. In this state, one in three children is overweight. Today, her young students are having a little dance party dressed as fruit and vegetables. A young girl spoons sugar into a glass with Lopez's help. She's trying to teach an important lesson. No! We drink this amount of sugar in a single glass. Does it sound like you should drink that? The children learn how soft drinks are harmful to health. But in many families, Coca-Cola is a byword for hospitality. A law in Oaxaca prohibits the sale of junk food to minors. However, its implementation has been stalled. If we sent any child into a shop, they would be able to buy sugary foods. Because the vendors don't know. The authorities are not doing their job. Back in Chiapas, a middle-aged woman is getting her blood tested at a local centre. Doctors here are facing an overwhelming wave of diabetes cases. It's a mammoth task educating people and testing their blood sugar. 
because many people don't know that they have the disease. General practitioner Darwin Gomez feels abandoned by politicians. We need to educate our children better. They are the future of our country and could help fight this problem, which is considered a global pandemic. Meanwhile, at the traditional ceremony, Shaman Pascuela Diaz ends the spiritual cleansing with a bright yellow pineapple soda. She won't use Coca-Cola for health reasons, she says. A lot of people only drink Coca-Cola, but too much sugar isn't good for them. But the pineapple soda also contains sugar. The road back to healthy eating is long, and kicking bad habits is the hardest part. Evelyn McLafferty with that story by Marie-Christine Böse. The last story is a bit of a taboo in our societies, and it's not talked about much. Head lice, small insects that feed on human blood. Head lice are found all over the world, and personal hygiene or cleanliness at home, school or kindergarten has nothing to do with getting lice. Kids are prone to get them once someone in their kindergarten has them. Getting rid of lice requires a special treatment. It's not enough to just wash hair. That can be a bit of a process. And there are some special hairdressers that are up for the task. Like one hairdresser in Tel Aviv, who has been running a very successful business for the past decade. Inneke Mules has the story by Kilian Neuwert. An escalator brings visitors and customers to the basement of a building in the heart of Tel Aviv. At first glance, there is nothing to indicate that this basement is home to a hair salon. Zara is one of the lucky ones who were able to get an appointment here. They're coveted, because the Wish and Wash salon is famous not primarily for its haircuts, but because it offers treatments for people who have been infested with lice. My four-year-old niece gave me lice, and it took me a while to realize that's what it was, because I didn't expect any adults to get lice. And then, yeah, I came last week and they gave me the treatment. It was very effective, and now this is the checkup to see if it worked. With the help of a spray bottle, salon owner Karen Friedman's only employee moistens customer Zaga's hair. The bottle contains a special anti-lice agent. Then she combs through the hair with a very fine special comb, which she wipes off again and again. During the first treatment, she saw the lice with her own eyes, says Zaga. She is full of hope that the lice infestation is behind her. Nevertheless, she does not want to give her real name. I can't even... I would not wish this on any enemy of mine. It's like, it starts just itchy, but it becomes really painful. I guess she told me that it's because, like, you get an allergy to the saliva of the lice. It's really painful. For 10 years, Wish and Wash owner Karen Friedman has been helping people like Zara, but mostly children and teenagers. She stands behind the second barber chair in the salon, an apron tied around her, mask, disposable gloves, hair covered with a black cloth. Friedman got the idea to start the salon because she saw a need. A friend living in America had told her that she needed to take her children to a specialist because they had lice. A specialist did not exist in Israel at the time, says Friedman. And I've been thinking about it for 
two, three years, and then my husband, he said, if you're not going to open it, someone else will do it, and it will be one of the things you'll say, oh, but I had this idea, how come I didn't do it? And that's when I decided to open. Here she deals with lice and cuts hair on request. For Karen Friedman, it was a new beginning. Previously, she managed a graphic design agency. She never had anything to do with hairstyles or even lice professionally. Then one thing led to another. So I went and learned how to cut kids' hair. And then we opened for cuts as well. And we actually became one of the main hair salon for kids in Tel Aviv and around. Because I have customers from outside Tel Aviv. I have customers abroad that every time they came for a vacation in Israel, they schedule a haircut. The transmission of lice occurs mainly during close contact, specifically by lice migrating from hair to hair. Where exactly the parasites that cause bad itching come from, however, few customers could say, Friedman says. In the communes with that story by Kilian Neuwert. That's our show for this week. For more World in Progress, go to dw.com slash worldinprogress or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's studio team was Liebke Tegtmeier and Visam Daman. I'm Sarah Steffen saying thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs>